right, you guys may be seated. Welcome to the last day of Breakaway. Hope you're with me. <laughs> Heard people went to bed at four in the morning last night, three in the morning, after some wonderful glory of uh, karaoke. Who won? These proud gentlemen back here. Congratulations. What was your best song? Wow. Well, clearly because you're the champions. That, that, that sounds right. That sounds absolutely right. Right on. Um, all right. You guys have been so good to, all weekend. It's been an absolute honor and a pleasure to be here. Uh, if you join me for one last look at Scripture, we're going to turn to Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. That's Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. But before we do, I mentioned uh, I serve as National Training Director the job is to cultivate a common culture across uncommon campuses. The way to build culture is to get what we define, what we celebrate, what we measure, and who we allow. Uh, so we built another resource for Chi Alpha, uh, a book that should be on the screen entitled Real Devotion. I wrote this with the blessing of uh, Sam Houston State Chi Alpha's campus pastors, Eli and Mary Gotro, who ultimately helped coin these phrases and uses these phrases of... Uh, Love finds a need and meets it, and motive is why do you do things you do, and who do you do them for? God is a right in our life, not because of what he does, but because of who he is. Sin is not the breaking of an impersonal law, but the personal heart of God. Humility is a sober sense of reality, so on and so forth. These uh, truisms were repeated to us over and over and over in every setting, from large group to small group to resource group. And when I go across the country and travel, uh, a lot of things that come up are, we need these Texas truisms. And what usually happens is the Texas truisms get dispersed in a text, but without a context, and that's not really what we're looking for. Uh, so this book is a bunch of 10 short sermons, if you will, on truisms that are portable and memorable truth statements that are useful for small group discipleship, for one-on-ones, for leadership training curriculum, for whatever you might have it, the personal devotional read. Uh, and I would encourage you guys to get it. It's only available at this website, wisdomhousepubs.com. And if I may be just quite transparent with y'all, a publisher would hate me to say this, but if you want to get it at a discounted rate, just get a bunch of y'all, like 10 plus, to uh, say, we'll get this book, cash out the money to somebody else, let them swipe it, and then you can get it for a very, very significant discounted rate. So anyway, there it is, contractually obligated to push that book, and I did it. All right. Uh, Joshua chapter 4, 1 through 7. Mark Batterson is the pastor for the National Community Church in Washington, D.C., with over seven locations. This is a world-renowned preacher, a New York Times best-selling author. This is also a person like us with highs and lows, success and suffering, the ability to forget, and the temptation to dismiss a call. He recounts a personal story of a problem in ministry. The unexpected had happened like it does to us all. Trial and tribulation became reality like it does to us all. He began to question whether or not he was doing what he was supposed to be doing like conflict can do to us all. And in this moment of despair, with a present that makes one seemingly forget the past and question the future, he decides to go for a drive. The drive was not necessarily about clearing his thoughts, but going back to the place where all of his thoughts of God began. He drove to his childhood home where he first heard the Lord speak. Years had passed. A new family had taken residence. He knocks on the door, a stranger in a familiar place, asking in tears that the new homeowners would just let him go into the backyard. He needed to go back to the place where his adventure with God began. 
believing. To remember how God spoke to him in the past would bring peace to his present and determination for his future. And as he makes it into the backyard, he identifies the exact spot where the Lord had called him into ministry. And standing in this place, he falls on his knees and he wept. He remembered the Lord. And when he got up from his knees, he was not the same person from before he bowed. But before he left, he took a picture of a backyard that's now framed above his desk in his office. It's not a picture to write home about. It doesn't mean anything to anyone else who beholds it. It will find no bids and no auctions, just a simple, ordinary picture. But when he beholds this picture, he remembers this is the place where Jesus called him into ministry, the place where adventure with the Lord began. And when he looks at this picture, be it good times or bad, in success or suffering, he remembers the adventure is not over. It's only just beginning. Mr. Batterson turned a picture into a monument. So every time that he looks at it, he can remember why does he do what he does and who does he do it for? In Joshua 4, the nation of Israel has finally made it to the promised land after 40 years of traveling out of slavery into their inheritance. The Lord has done many wonders in delivering Israel from their doom to their destiny. Through signs and wonders, he led them out of slavery in Egypt. Through the parting of a Red Sea, he enabled them to flee their pursuers while using this same sea to swallow Egypt whole. He made bread fall from heaven so that they would not die of starvation. He made water flow from a rock so an entire nation would not die of dehydration. And of course, this instance, making the Jordan River split so Israel can cross over once more on dry land towards their promised land. All of which are miracles. All of these prove to a nation the presence of God and the power of God and the love of God. But nonetheless, the Lord commands Joshua to take 12 stones from the river where Israel's priests stood on dry ground. These, were to be, uh, these 12 stones were to be placed where they lodged that night. Verse 6, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? That you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters were gone, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. The Lord knew as the days and years went by through suffering and through success Israel would forget who God is and what God has done. But if they could just behold these stones as a way of making their memories uh, manifested in the physical world, to behold these stones would be to behold God again. And we see the Lord repeat this process throughout the New Testament. We're going to do this today. When Jesus taught on communion, he asked his disciples to break bread in effort to remember his broken body. He asked us to drink wine to remember his spilled blood. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus knew that we would forget the unforgettable gospel. And thousands of years later, the Lord's belief that we would forget him continues to be proven right. As one study suggests, only 33% of Christian leaders finish their calling well. That is 67% of leaders that are either stumbling into the finish line or quitting before the race is over. What then can we do to remember the Lord? We need monuments. We must find a way of manifesting memories into this physical world an effort to have something to behold, to remember why do we do the things that we do and who do we do them for. So an effort to stir you on to consider your own monuments, I'm going to share with you two of mine, and then we're going to close. I mentioned I went, I went to Sam Houston State, the Harvard of the South. My ambition was to be an athletic trainer at the University of Texas. Nothing sounded better than living in the barbecue capital of the world 
working on the Vince Youngs and Kevin Durants that would come through our university every year. This was my dream job. Life was good. Learning was easy. The future was bright. I enjoyed everything. And then one day while walking to my weightlifting class, because that's what you do when you're a sports medicine major, I hear the Lord speak to me in the middle of a sidewalk between the apartment complex uphill I would park at and the kinesiology center downhill I was heading towards. The voice of God speaks clearly on a cloudy day, and the Lord asks a question. Now, in the Bible, whenever the Lord asks a question, it's not so he can know the answer. He's all-knowing. It's so that the person being asked can know the answer. When God says to Adam and Eve, where are you? It's not so God can discover where they are. It's so Adam and Eve can learn that they're hiding from the presence of God. God says, Alex, if you do this, referring to athletic training, will you be at peace? And I wanted to answer yes and get the self-inspection over with. I had dreams and plans and goals. I had timelines and expectations. It's much easier to dismiss the Lord's question with my preferred future over his will. But the Holy Ghost has a way of haunting you until you know what's right. And as I wrestled with the Lord, I thought about my small group guys. It was Roscoe I mentioned to you, the tall, dark, and handsome fraternity guy who knows three and a half guitar, uh, guitar chords. There was Caleb, a big redhead with a kind heart and relative morals. He believed in reading the Bible. He also believed in drinking before the age of 21, which we are not encouraging. There was Edgar, a Hispanic Romeo who had just had his heart broken from a previous relationship. So he had this habit of listening to a Ben Harper song in effort to embrace grief, to overcome grief. That makes any sense. <laughs> the lyrics went, oh, no, here comes that son again. And soon he met Jesus and his sad heart became whole. There was Josh, who was a gamer who excelled at anything with buttons. The key to his heart was video games every Friday night at midnight until 6 a.m. Saturday the following morning. He wrestled with the rationality of a good God allowing bad things. And there was Brian, a baseball player who kept to himself an introvert, but the right mama joke at the right time would turn the greatest introvert into the greatest extrovert you've ever seen. And he still talks about my beloved mother. And of these five guys, four gave their lives to Jesus. One continues to doubt, although there's still opportunity with breath in his lungs. But watching these guys transform from rebels into worshipers was something that transformed me. When Ross gave his life to Jesus, he read the New Testament in two weeks and the Old Testament in three weeks. His roommates could overhear him crying out for God for their souls. Have you ever heard someone else that you love crying out for your soul because they love you? When Edgar gave his life to Jesus, his integration point moved away from a girl to the God of the universe. Rightfully so. No girl or guy is qualified to be your integration point. When Brian gave his life to Jesus, he became a missionary to Kazakhstan and then to Chile. This introvert could not help but telling people about the Lord. These people loved God. They hated sin. They prayed for people continually. They read their Bible day and night. They made disciples without the title small group leader. They made disciples with the title small group leader. And all I did, although I did not know what was on the other side of God's question, I knew that the Lord wanted to see more rebels transformed into worshipers. So I told Jesus, I'll do whatever you want me to do. He says, I've called you to be a preacher, so go preach. And my soul knew that it knew that it knew it heard from God. But how does one forget an unforgettable moment? Preaching came through the context of Chi Alpha Missions. This means you have to call friends and strangers to ask for a continual investment of money to be a missionary. And sometimes in these phone calls, it is the friends who give you more grief than the strangers. I experienced my first call gone bad when I called up an old high school friend that I had led to the Lord. And as soon as I get through, my missionary asked to be an intern at Sam Houston. His response was, 
I know about you Chi Alpha guys. I used to support a Chi Alpha missionary in Colorado. Now, at this point in time, there was no Chi Alpha in Colorado. He says, all you guys do is go skiing all day while drinking your hot chocolate, and that's not true. We drink black coffee all day. <laughs> he says, I'm not going to invest in your personal vacation. By the way, get a Chi Alpha start at the University of Texas first. There was a Chi Alpha there. It was 15 years old. And he says, and then I will consider investing into you. And after I briefly rebuttaled my friend's false facts with real data, I realized this was my first phone call of the day. I had 50 more to make. So I did not pick up my phone again that day, or the next, or the next, or the next. A full week had gone by. My budget is at a standstill. The boy who heard the call of God on a sidewalk on his way to class was a single person responsible only for himself. The man who was rejected on an investment call was a married man responsible for paying rent and feeding his family. If my money depends on the generosity or monstrosity of humankind, do I want to be a missionary? Now the call of God was not so clear. Now the calling of God was at the mercy of what is convenient. Now what God has asked me to do was being questionable what my family needs me to do. Does my soul know that it knows it heard from the Lord? And in tears that only tribulation can bring, and with weight that only doubt can bring, I grab my phone, I walk out of my house through the campus of Sam Houston State, I find the exact spot where I heard from God so many years ago, I have a picture of it for you guys here today, a small, unspectacular sidewalk in the middle of nowhere, Texas, and I took a picture that I have yet to delete over a decade earlier to print out, to put above my desk, because I needed a monument. And every time I look at it now, I know that God made me to be a preacher, so I must preach. Every time I see this monument of a picture, I remember, why do I do the things that I do, and who do I do them for? Now, I'm going to share with you one more monument, and I'm going to ask you to consider your own. When I was a student, one of our first leadership training classes was on the why of discipleship. And by this time, our Chi Alpha was 15 years old. There was plenty of history to tell. And our lesson on the why of discipleship began with a picture, which I'm going to show you guys here. This picture is of seven men sitting on a stage. From right to left, they're increasing in age. From left to right, they're becoming younger in age. This picture begins with a man at the very, very far left named Paul Brown, who discipled to the very right of him a man named Terry Robbins. Terry was one of those small group guys who almost did not make it. Everyone has this story. Responsibility can be quite scary when it's real. It's much easier to be a college student focused entirely on academics or in academics plus dating, but academics plus reconciling fellow students to Jesus. This may seem too extracurricular instead of extraordinary. And with lacking vision and the belief that he lacked time, Terry wanted to leave his leadership training class, telling his campus pastor, I just don't have time to make disciples. But his campus pastor countered with this vision, Terry, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, of course I do. You know that I do. That's why I'm here. Then you believe in who he is and what he said. Yes, that's exactly what I just told you. Why are you repeating this back to me? Then when this Jesus preached in Matthew 28 to go out and make disciples of all nations, this means Jesus believes this great commission of discipleship will be accompanied by the great expansion of the kingdom of God on earth. Terry, if you do this, if you make disciples, you will change the world. Now, Terry, perhaps believing in what he heard or simply desiring not to hear any more, conceded and stayed in leadership training to become a small group leader that following year. And in his brief time at Sam Houston State, 
Terry found, fed, and fought for a guy to the right of him named Steve Cutno. Steve Cutno is there wearing uh, flannel, which means he's a white guy perfectly fit for Alaska. Steve would go on to become a missionary of the Czech Republic, described by the campus pastor as one of the greatest small group leaders Sam Houston ever had. But before he left for the Czech as a missionary, he discipled as a college student to the right of him, a young man named Matt Hugendorn. Matt had a younger brother named Josh, whom he also brought into Chi Alpha, which means not only was Matt's life changed, but Josh's life was changed as well. Josh Hugendorn went on to become a missionary of the Arab world. Matt went on to become a missionary of the University of Houston. But before he did... He discipled as a college student to the right of him, a young man named Ryan Volkman. Ryan had a younger brother named Kyle, whom he also brought into Chi Alpha. Meaning not only was Ryan's life changed, but Kyle's life was changed as well. Kyle went on to become a missionary to the University of Texas at San Antonio. Wrote a book called These Things that Chi Alphas are using across the nation to understand discipleship. And is now training new pastors on how to plant churches at Gateway Church in San Antonio considered one of the largest growing uh, Assemblies of God churches in the nation. Ryan went on to graduate with his criminal justice degree, completed law school, and then became the assistant district attorney for a small town called Houston, Texas. But before he did, he discipled as a college student another man to the right of him named Josh Renfro. Josh would become a missionary as well, pioneering Chi Alpha in the country of Chile. He is the equivalent of the National Senior Director for that entire country of Chi Alpha, described by the campus pastor as the best preacher to ever come out of Sam Houston. But before he left for Chile, he discipled that college student at the very, very end, the far right, a young man named Ryota Yogo. Ryota was an international student from Japan who did not believe God. Through being found, fed, and fought for by Josh, he gave his life to Jesus to believe God. But Ryota would first go back to Japan with the gospel and is now back in Texas at Chi Alpha at Arlington, the university with the most international student population in Texas, finding, feeding, and fighting for souls that look like him. At a Chi Alpha reunion at Sam Houston, Terry Roberts came back to the campus he once made disciples at. He's now more advanced in years, not a college student anymore, a married man building a family of his own working in the marketplace. Terry was accustomed to a Chi Alpha of 50. He was gladly surprised to hear the group was now over 250. And Eli, our campus pastor, assured him they are strong now because of what he did then. And then Eli, realizing that Terry had no idea what was happening since his bachelor's degree, asked a question. He said, Terry, do you remember when I told you that you were going to change the world? And Terry, you know, looks up to the sky, gathers his thoughts, says, yeah, I think I remember that. He says, well, you did it, man. You changed the world from Huntsville, Texas. Oh, no, 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 not me. And Eli, refusing to see a revelation missed, walked him around the room by walking him around the world. He says, I know you know Steve is now a missionary to Czech, but did you know that his small group guy, Matt, is a missionary to the University of Houston? And his small group guy, Ryan, is bringing God into the courtrooms of Houston. And his small group guy, Josh, is now a missionary bringing Chi Alpha to the country of Chile. And his small group guy, Ryota, is from Japan, went back to Japan with the gospel. Terry. How have you not changed the world if this guy's in the Czech and this guy's in Chile and this guy's in Japan and these guys are reaching one of the largest cities in our nation? Terry was now in tears. He wasn't 19 anymore. He's married with kids, hair's growing gray, works a job. It's been years since he's been at Sam Houston. But because he was responsible for Jesus' command to make disciples, he found, fed, and fought for souls who then found, fed, and fought for souls who then found, fed, and fought for souls from one generation to another generation, from one campus to many beyond it, 
from one state to around the nation, from one nation to around the world. Terry Roberts changed the world from Huntsville, Texas. And when we were shown this picture, this small, simple picture, it clicked. Discipleship is transgenerational. One picture is worth a thousand souls. This is a beautiful, unique thought that you can leave the place where you got your degrees behind. You can build families and grow old. You can watch your families grow old. And although we may become 40, 50, 60 something in years, there could still be a young 18 to 22 year old college student who has no idea who you are and no idea what you've done. But because you made disciples who made disciples who made disciples, they're walking with Jesus through a transgenerational spiritual lineage that your responsibility built. I have this unique privilege of teaching at an intern conference every year for Chi Alpha. And at this conference, over 200 interns come in from across the nation to learn how to be missionaries. The latest Sam Houston State Bearcats are a part of these intern classes. And my favorite, most cherished memory from these times is when a young person who barely looks 22 years of age walks up. They must have graduated in 2021. I graduated in 2009. They're over a decade removed from me. I don't know them. I've never interacted with them. But they walk up and they say, thank you so much for being responsible to Jesus. You don't know me, but I am your great, 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 great spiritual grandson. This is everyone's privilege who takes on the responsibility of discipleship to the ends of the earth. You affect the campus for Jesus. Well, after you're gone, you become a spiritual grandparent or great grandparent or great, great grandparent to souls that you have never met but are born because you became responsible with a spiritual lineage that you refuse to let die with you. And every time I see this monument of a picture, I remember why do I do the things that I do and who do I do them for? So here's the conclusion. When the fear of the future and the problems of the present impede us, we must look to the past to remember, why are you doing what you're doing and who are you doing it for? That is what a monument is for. So to my friends who want to forget responsibility, and to my friends in this room who do not want to embark on responsibility, but know that you should, we must remember why we chose Jesus and became responsible with his kingdom in the first place. So what is your monument? This application is going to be quite simple. As we break this morning, take communion, take a picture, drive home, be it six hours or one hour and a half, I want you to consider two things. These two questions to chew on. Is there a place in your life that you can go back to, to take a picture of and frame somewhere so that every time your eyes behold this picture, you behold the Lord and you remember why you do the things you do and who you do it for? Be that a dorm be it a place on campus, be it your old home, be it your current home, wherever it might be. And number two, is there a scripture that you could write out or a page in a book that you could rip out or anything like this to where every time you see this verse or this sentence or this thing, you remember the Lord and you remember why you do the things that you do and who you do it for. Let's pray. Then I'm going to hand this over to Paul, who's going to lead us in communion. Jesus, we love you. And we ask, oh God, that you would help us just to remember you, Jesus, to not forget your unforgettable gospel, to remember the Lord. Help us to recall why we do the things that we do and who we do it for. And oh God, 
If our answer right now is not you, would you change our hearts and open our eyes and help us to have a repentance in our spirit so that you become why we do what we do and who we do it for. Help us to have monuments to remember Jesus, your goodness. May we taste it. May we see it. May we know you're good. In Jesus' name.